Welcome back to Batting Around. It's Batting Around. It's a baseball podcast. I am your co-host, Jane Ost. With me, as always, is Lauren. Mayama Lauren. <laughs> and Stephen. Yo. I don't speak enough Spanish to know how to say that's Lauren. <laughs> Esta, Spanish, so I just... Esta, Esta Lauren. Esta Lauren. Thank you. I took I took German from uh, a woman that was basically Peggy Hill for German class. So I don't remember <laughs> that much of that either. So. Uh, but we also have a guest here. I guess I'm really excited about. Uh, it is beloved former Magic the Gathering commentator, game designer, and host of the Resleevables Magic the Gathering History uh, show on YouTube, Patrick Sullivan. Thank you so much for having me. You know, long time reply guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> long time fan, first time guest. I really appreciate y'all having me on. Really, really uh, excited to have you on here because, you know, we... We've been we've been looking for like somebody to talk about the Padres with since like last year. We never really nailed down like we have like you know we have a guy for every team. It feels like, but Padres is the one we don't have. So we don't without every. Huh. Team. We have a That's guy an exaggeration. for the teams that we are interested in. Yeah, it's like... yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. we've been interested in the Padres, and we can't really make it work. Yeah, we don't. We don't have Ash's guy. We don't have a Reds guy. We don't yeah. have a. We got a million Reds guys. We have Reds guys, but not something we have on to we talk about the Reds. <laughs> oh yeah yeah we did a whole reds episode uh but she yeah she'd be harder to get on a uh, moment's notice but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no we got uh yeah so we got patrick here uh a man who knows games inside and out and also a padres fan uh but you are not from the san diego area you are from a, a small town in new jersey how did this come about i i grew up in rural new jersey oh, um, we got another New Jersey guy on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're all over. Where are you from? Flagtown, New Jersey, which is an unincorporated community uh, inside of Hillsborough Township in Somerset County. So population about one thousand, uh, I think, in the last census. So where I grew up was pretty much like equidistant from New York City and Philadelphia. So there wasn't any of those teams to really latch onto. I watched a lot of baseball when I was a kid. But I can't say I particularly cared about any of the any of the teams. Like we got the Yankees local broadcast and we got the Mets local broadcast, and I would just watch whatever was on. But in terms of having, and I played little league, like I was into it, you know. But in terms of having a team, uh, I didn't have one, and I moved out to San Diego in 2003 because I got my first like adult job, I guess you could say, uh, with Upper Deck Entertainment which is known more for doing sports cards, but they had a games division at the time. And uh, it was a whole like make work uh, mess because uh, <laughs> the company was flush with Yu-Gi-Oh money and then wanted to do this games thing. So <laughs> it was totally, oh, it was totally fugazi, but that's how I got my foot in the door doing this. And um, I went down to Petco a few times, it's like beautiful ballpark and middle of downtown, real big contrast to the, the Northeast parks I went to first time in my life. I ever thought that I was in danger. The physical danger was my folks took me down to the, to the, or sorry, not my folks. The church that I was an altar server at took me down to the vet. There was like a Catholic, like seven and eight year olds <laughs> filled up with the bus and went down to the old vet in Philadelphia. And I saw like the urinal oh, trough. And like it was just like the first time <laughs> in my life. I'm like, I'm in harm's way. So Petco was a big <laughs> contrast to that. And mm -hmm. I have this thing, you know, like I grew up a football fan and a hockey fan and had the Giants and Devils as my teams. 
And so I was sort of a, a a man without a country when it came to baseball and basketball, but you don't want to just hop on with the Dodgers and Lakers. Like that makes you a scumbag. Mm-hmm. I live in San Diego anyway. So uh, I, I consider myself a Padres fan. I guess the that's first... exactly how mm-hmm. Roth became a Clippers fan. Yeah, actually. yeah. <laughs> I've heard him talk about I'm a yeah. Clippers think... fan too. Same deal. Yeah, I think that's an underrated way to come to a fandom. Yeah, yeah. there's all this talk like you're supposed to be like like you're supposed to like be born, bred, and die into a fandom in the team that you're from. But like a lot of people have to move. A lot of people have to move a couple times in their lives, and often it's a very like alienating, lonely experience. It's okay to like find something to like latch on to, to like make it part of your identity. That's a totally normal part of the process. Well, I had the I had the added benefit of you know growing up in New Jersey, moving to San Diego, and being like homesick and every sort of like cultural difference was uh hard for me to adapt to like the i forget what the shingles are called on the houses down there um but like that style is very different from the houses where i grew up and i remember one mm-hmm. time between that and seeing christmas lights on palm trees i was just like sobbing in a parking lot <laughs> of the 7-eleven mm-hmm. like, very tough adaptation. no totally but it's hard to go from like the parts those parts of the east coast to the west coast because all of a sudden like there's a lot of like colloquial terms for stuff that aren't slurs exactly yeah it's really <laughs> it's really tough all the words you have to unlearn is yeah this is an adaptation so i had the opportunity i can't get a dago sandwich yeah. <laughs> yeah. so i got the uh, benefit oh, of being able to take the lay of the land and be like oh like the padres are they they suck and their fans are really chill and it's a beautiful town for baseball. And the Dodgers fans are not that. And <laughs> Angel Stadium's like the worst ballpark that I've been to. Like bar oh, it's horrible. horrible. It's so bad. Is it really that? Oh, is it fuck, bad? it's I terrible. Don't, don't it's disgusting. This. It's like I must have complained it, on the podcast before because I hated it. It was huh. like so you have Petco, which is like downtown San Diego in the gas lamp, right off the train, right next to the convention center. And it's like San Diego is just meant for baseball. It's a, it's a, mm-hmm. it, the weather is, it's an all year sport there. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have Dodger Stadium, which you feel like you're transported back to like 1964 driving up there. It's mm-hmm. just, it, it feels like a different place in time. And then Angel Stadium is like in the fucking warehouse district of Anaheim, not near anything. Ugh. They come out to trains calling all angels. It's like horrible. It's a horrible, it's a horrible <laughs> team. It's a horrible ballpark. Um, yeah. So yeah, I my memory was being like the... pure cement. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I latched onto the Padres. I think probably oh five oh six. I think Jake Peavy was like the first franchise guy that I associated with the team, um, mm-hmm. and you know the Adrian Gonzalez years and all that. Um, so you know, close to twenty years, I guess, at this point. Aegon is one of those like all time great guys to me. I caught I caught him at like the end of the his Dodger years when I started kind of tuning into baseball. Uh, again, most recently, and that that's like a, an incredible guy, in the in the Rothian sense. Yeah, and it's <laughs> a funny thing. Now I'm sure we'll talk about like the Padres payroll and what it means to be mid market or whatever. But I remember when Adrian got traded to uh, to Boston, and it's like we got because you know his contract was about to be up, and you know it's a mid market team. You can't afford that deal, right? And it's just like <laughs> the this guy who's like. He's Mexican American. He played his high school ball in Chula Vista. Uh, everyone, every word that I hear about this guy is positive. If we can't pay this guy, like who better to be <laughs> the face of the franchise? You couldn't, you couldn't ask for someone better than that. 
to be the face of the franchise. And if we can't pay this guy, like what is our path to ever having a team that's good and fun to root for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the answer was uh, just give it a couple of years and ownership will get really desperate and weird. And everybody's doing the mega contracts now. We'll give a couple of those out. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's mid markets all made up. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's a fake. propaganda that's a term. Idea. Uh, the owners of these teams are all like hedge fund people anyway. So it's like, who cares where the market is? I remember when the Padres signed Machado and I was like, Oh, we could just do that. That's really fun. <laughs> like I, I just, it we, was not in we my do that two more times. Yeah, yeah. And then do it again and then do it again. And then we're going to do it a fourth time. And there's rumors that we might be doing it a fifth time <laughs> this summer. Uh, yo, you could just do that. That's great. So a, a very radicalizing moment for me as a sports fan of just like, oh, this is all made up. The teams that can't afford this, and like talking about their market, it's made up. Look at the Padres. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that like not everybody who gets into baseball becomes a socialist because at some point you realize like, wait, the money's all fake. This is all mm. this is all kayfabe. <laughs> all of like the e- economics here, that's all bullshit. We can just take money from rich people and it's fine. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And then you contrast it with what's going on in in Oakland, which is like, it is a, to me, like a very, like it is a violation of sort of the social contract that undergirds fans and teams and Mm -hmm. the the notion of a team as a public trust. And uh, yeah, you get to have that in the same state as the Dodgers and the Padres with quarter of a billion dollar payrolls. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get into the Oakland stuff here in a bit. Uh, We'll have have a quick little news hit on that. That's uh, very funny. So the Padres now, though, do we need to say anything more about them now or or about the, the, the past year or can we can we get into What's what's going on with the Padres now? Yeah. Why are they in fourth place? Coming into this season, I think it's safe to say there was a lot of optimism in Padres okay. fandom. Are you worried long term or like is a couple months? It's a long season. It's been kind of rough. Or like, how are you feeling about the prospects of right now? It's, it's an interesting question because uh, on one hand, I would say for as high as the payroll is, there's been some really slot inefficient allocation of resources, like investing more in the middle infield when you are already play, paying Machado and uh, Hassan Kim is the uh, leader in defensive wins above replacement. So if you go get a shortstop, you have to move him to second, which is less valuable. Like there is a certain level of this is not the best roster you could put together if you were spending $250 million. Uh, and now the farm system is pretty emptied out after the Soto trade. So on one hand, mm-hmm. there is this, you know, like I said, not the most inefficient, not the most efficient allocation of resources. Some players have taken a really big step back offensively this year, which is unexpected. But I, I would point to three sort of key guys who have uh, regressed. And that's a hard thing. You know, the, like the the line between 90 wins and 75 wins is, yeah, three of your top people not playing well. Like, it's not that surprising. On the other hand, mm-hmm. the talent is there. And I've rooted for this team in previous years where we had approximately this record at this point in the season. And it was like, because the team sucks and this is just what it is. <laughs> so there is the mm-hmm. hope that it's like, yeah, that the talent could turn this thing around. And, and frankly, last year's postseason run, there's still a lot of positive sentiment about that because, you know, a lot of people thought we were going to get bounced in the first round, including a lot of Padres fans. So that run to the NL championship is still like that was still near enough in the past 
and the team has been so unsuccessful for so long that there's a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's the pessimism of, yes, of course it's disappointing. It, the team is worse than I think anyone reasonably would have expected, but also there's enough talent on the team and willingness to pay that people believe they're, they're, it's just like a hot run away from just being right back in it. And in most years, it's like, yeah, we suck. We're going to win 72 games again. <laughs> and there's nothing to really watch in like a day-to-day sense. That makes sense. Yeah. In particular, I, I'm curious about what you think of get a read on the fan sentiment for Soto in particular. Because like, as you said, it was a huge trade. He, he had like a rough end of last year and started this season. But I'm like 150 WRC plus is pretty close to in line with most of his seasons in, in the big leagues. You think the fans are like, obviously... There's going to be people who are like, oh, a guy like that's never worth the mega contract. But uh, I, I don't know. What's your read on the local situation with with uh, Soto in particular? I mean, last season was rough and also started off a little slow this year. Um, but he's really rounded into form. Uh, and particularly with, you know, sort of Tatis, Cronenworth, and Machado all, and Bogarts now, all some combination of injured and not playing well. The fact that he's really carried the offense now for a while, you know, uh, that, you know, bodes well. And he's so young. And, you know, also we traded so much to get him that it's sort of there's some level of commitment at this point, regardless. Um, as far as the mega contract uh, goes, it's funny because the San Diego fan base is like, we are not familiar with that as a consideration <laughs> until now when it also is not a consideration, just in a different way. So there's not this, like, you know, Yankees and Dodgers fans, whoever, have a lot of, you know, the 20, 30, 25, $30 million contracts are that, that's been going on for so long that there's sort of a frame of reference and opinion for what that means. And here it's just like, oh, I guess it's all made up. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, 12 years and $500 million. Yeah, sure, it's not my money. Don't care if, if uh, ownership's <laughs> willing to pay it, then we don't have to really worry about – there's no salary cap. You know, most of the sports that I follow mm-hmm. – the cap matters. And so the dollars represent an opportunity cost of what you could otherwise do. But if it's just, you know, some rich guy's money, but I like, a, uh, that's a very popular thing in my Padres group chats is it's not my money. Yep. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. My, to a lot. my money is going to the, the variety of uh, local craft IPAs in the ballpark, right. not to pay Juan Soto directly. <laughs> it, it is very funny listening to you talk about this. Cause it's just like, Oh yeah. I, yep. Yep. Padres fans are worried that their money is going into like really bad rap diss tracks about other teams. <laughs> well, that is the other. That's, that's the downside. Can, that do you through. care to do you care to comment? Okay, my experience. I, I believe that I this was one of my early replies to Jane. In fact, because mm-hmm. you had posted a video of some very embarrassing Padres fans. Like it was close to the yeah. postseason last year and. They really some acapella ones. Yeah, some embarrassing video. Yeah. I was like, these were not the fans that I went to game. They, this was this is a new phenomenon. The okay. the archetypical Padres fan is someone who looks a little bedraggled and is wearing a like <laughs> Vietnam veteran hat, even though they're like forty five. Mm-hmm. Like there's <laughs> like it's a very it's a very stolen valor crowd. That's our energy. Mm-hmm. Stolen valor. So this the fleet like, week stuff rubs off. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a red October hat, like from, it's yeah. like a promotional Tom Clancy novel thing. Like. <laughs> yeah. So the this whole like the Padres fans like 
really embarrassing themselves, really embarrassing themselves. This is a relatively new phenomenon. It's new money. It's the same thing with the contracts. You just mm-hmm. don't know how to handle this stuff. And there's always like a, anytime you're like dealing with a, a, a New Yorker in LA in your division, you're a little, there's a little bit of a chip on your shoulder about it. Even yeah. if you don't want to, if you've just a conscious thing, there's always that cultural element of like, yeah, you, you guys are the cultural capital. You kind of win by default on all this stuff, but I'm going to, I'm going to show you what we got down here in, and it never it's never works out as well as they think in, the, in their mind. But I think that's a part of it that happens. It's a, you see that in Phoenix a lot, too, but in yeah. even stranger, more deeply weird ways. It's a funny thing <laughs> on a cultural level, because there's also like the Chargers were a team there. They eventually moved to Los Angeles. And um, San Diego definitely has this culture of, yes, there is an acknowledgement of being the little sibling in the relationship. But also people from San Diego take a lot of pride in like the it being a relatively nice place to live and mm-hmm. not taking sports super seriously. So I have a mm-hmm. lot of memories of leaving Padres games where it's like they played the Dodgers, the, the, the team, the stadium was more than half Dodgers fans. Dodgers win. Everyone's like yelling and honking their horns and stuff. And the Padres fans are just sort of like, this is embarrassing behavior. And now you have to drive three <laughs> hours back up to Los Angeles to, you know, mm-hmm. live there instead of here. So, yes, there is definitely that, like, compared to, like, let's say the Rangers and the Islanders, where, like, basically Long Island is a pejorative if you're from that area, (laughs) that's a very intense little sibling kind of dynamic, whereas, you know, Dodgers, Padres, there's a little bit of that, but the the town is sort of prideful of itself in its own way that's divorced from sports Mm -hmm. to some extent. Totally, yeah. Phoenix can't claim that when it's like June and 104 degrees out. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one main difference between Phoenix and San Diego. Everything else, nothing else. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's hit on a couple little news items here. That's all right. We've uh, got some some bad news. Oh God, Jacob Degrom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, going on going on the IL, getting Tommy John. Stop me um, if you heard this one before. Yeah. And yeah, the, the Rangers fans really got a speed run in the Jacob deGrom experience this year, uh, <laughs> which is a shame. It is too bad. But like, sometimes I wonder, like, should it, couldn't this guy just take a couple miles an hour off his fastball? Does he have to be throwing 100 miles an hour for his entire career? Like, yeah. is, this, is that the only thing keeping him effective is that he can throw 100 miles an hour? <laughs> the thing keeping him being the best p- p- pitcher in baseball is being the yeah. best pitcher in baseball. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 I know. But like. Are you going to get nothing out of him now? <laughs> you know, yeah. it keeps happening all the time. Is he the best pitcher in baseball if he's not pitching? No, because uh, he's no. not. No, <laughs> no, he's not. But yeah, no, that's that's I don't know. That's really sad. But you guys who a... don't throw 102 get Tommy John, too. So this is four months into pro- approximately four months into five years and 185. Yeah. yeah. My my friend, when that sign, I have a buddy of mine who's a Mets fan. And uh, when that contract came through, he texted me you know one piece away because it was like just kind of funny to see texas buy like that and all their subsequent <laughs> mm-hmm. signings we were just the the reply is just one piece away and now we had a chuckle before i came on about yeah that <laughs> unsurprisingly Degrom is not going to make it into the to the end of this year and perhaps not to the end of next year also yeah now they're two pieces away yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh. <laughs> no, it's a shame. You know, we we don't necessarily like Degrom as a dude, but I like teams going out and spending big money on sure. on talent. Well, sure. I want to sure. I want to hear about this. I don't follow. There's not a whole lot of baseball players that I like. 
know about their politics or their personal life or whatever. Smart. So, <laughs> oh, so he's I'll, just a right wing jerk. Okay. It's not a big, you know, a lot of them are. We don't really you can't care about it too much and still like the and still like the sports. So. It's just like it's it's almost unremarkable because of how like the average baseball player is. Yeah. No, the funny thing about the whole thing is that the New York media sat on this for years while he was playing in New York. And then when he signed with Texas, they were like, well, here's all the dirt on him. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, you got to respect in a very New York kind of way. Yeah, Fucking yeah, yeah, oppo yeah. dump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it bums me out because I really want Texas to win that division so bad. Mm-hmm. So bad. Well, just anyone but Houston, really, is what it is, though. Anyone but Houston, but right now, it, it like, Texas is looking pretty nice. And he hasn't pitched a full season. He's been sidelined a couple times this season with injuries, I think. I don't think he, they're necessarily right. totally dependent on him. Yeah, right. they're not really depending on him. It's just, like, it yeah. certainly doesn't help. Um, mm-hmm. No, uh, Nathan Eval, is only 33 years old with his own extensive history of injury. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> fine. John Gray can Don't continue not it. being Don't the John Gray we've known for five for like seven years. It's no big deal. Yeah, it's certainly. I mean, it's got to like lower their ceiling in a three game series for sure, though, right? Oh God, yeah, yeah. No, if he makes it to the postseason, it's the best possible person to have in the game. But yeah. to the injury history point, uh, yeah. been a while. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if if Verlander got two and eighty eight from the Mets, I think was that deal, and Degrom got less per year, then the injury risk is baked in. I would rather bet on, assuming both players are healthy, I'd rather bet on DeGrom's next two or three years than Verlander just because of age. But mm. uh, it, oh, 100%. It, yeah, 5 and 185 is baking in like some very real possibility of injury. So sucks that it happened, but it's also not the, the biggest surprise. Yeah, right. pretty much. Uh, can I tell you my one my one known scumbag? Maybe, Ooh, yes, maybe not bad politics, but uh, probably bad politics is uh, Matt Bush. So uh, mm-hmm. he was a he was like a San Diego prep star. Like uh, he grew up in the area and was, you know, I mean, he was the number one pick over Verlander in his draft. And it was like a one in one a kind of situation. Padres eventually took him first. Obviously, a huge mistake. This is before he like <laughs> got into six subsequent like hit and runs uh, later on. In his career. Oh, but um my friend who played baseball pretty competitively in San Diego, um, like got to the high school level and had an injury, but like, you know, maybe would have played community college ball, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Had two plate appearances against Matt Bush. Uh, he got a hit off of him and then he was drilled into the other one. And uh, <laughs> he was basically, uh, he was also at one point overheard screaming, do you know who I am? I'm fucking Matt Bush. When he was like 17 or 18 years old, someone. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Great. So awesome. he is really cool. He is the one person I, I I got to catch a Angels Rangers last year. He is the one person where if he's in the game, I am like getting myself thrown out. <laughs> Hell yeah. And I assume I, I have to assume his politics are horrendous, but it's not like known. I don't. Uh, yeah, he's got a he's got a criminality and incarceration section on his Wikipedia page. Criminality. Oh yeah, this is like all the drunk driving related stuff. I remember when this happened. Yeah, he's got one of those guys who like MLB media tried to give like a definite story to because he clawed his way back to the majors after yeah. all that. But, like, I don't know. I think he like yeah. hit. He was, was like he two, was a big asshole when he was a kid. There's like two separate hit and runs inside of like the same 30 minute window, and then they found him. They were like arrested him in a strip club. Like, like <laughs> yeah, basically, it was not... he ran yeah. over a bunch of people on his way to the strip club, and that's just one incident. That's on the Wikipedia yeah. page. There's others up there too. 
but he is passionate. Yeah, a lot about of people him. who have done less have gotten fewer opportunities. Yeah. For sure. It does yeah. mention him yelling, I'm Matt fucking Bush, <laughs> which was recorded on videotape. Uh, it does just mention no. that when he's oh, so that a drunken Bush beat up a high school. Yeah, a, high, a drunken Bush beat up a high school lacrosse player with a golf club while screaming, I'm Matt fucking Bush, which was recorded on videotape. And this Not was a good idea when you're committing assault, generally yeah. speaking. To... <laughs> this was 2009 and uh he was born in 1986 so that's not like he that was not him in no. high school either oh, no. no that was a full-grown adult yeah. that was that was uh, yeah, a full-grown adult beating up a high schooler uh <laughs> cool and you know if we want to take a little uh, uh shot in front of here he's still pitching for the brewers but he's got a uh 8.2 era this year with a 10.3 fit wonderful yeah wonderful it's what she deserves. <laughs> so, a uh, quick little piece on the Oakland A's here. Oh, God. The, yeah. <laughs> Nevada's uh, state was a state congress or assembly, whatever. They have adjourned their session and did not come to a, uh, did not come to a, like a decision on what to do about how to fund this Oakland A's ballpark or this athletics ballpark that's supposedly you know, supposed to happen, but they are having a special session that will not include specifically will not include any talk, uh, any discussion or make make sure anything gets done. Yeah, on this apparently issue too. So this is just getting more and more. From, from what I'm aware of, Nevada is governed by a Republican, but the legislature is all Democrats. So naturally, it, that means that it cannot function normally. Um. And yeah, this is extremely funny that like, God, are, are, are John Fisher and Dave Cavill capable of like, do like doing normal things? No, no rich person no. does anything that's normal. That's in any, true. Any um, resembling... Especially uh, a like, you know, son of somebody that <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. you know, made, a, made a billion dollar thing. Like John Fisher didn't build shit. Like he doesn't know how to do anything at all. No, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure what this actually means for. Well, I don't the think anyone A's. does. I don't think anyone really does at this point. Um, I think this is all hard to interpret without being an insider. I would. Yeah. I, I do know one person who can clarify things, and that is uh, our good friend Jeremy Koo, who may or may not be sending us a little explainer on this and if he is this is where we'll put it if not then we can just continue laughing at the A's. was yeah. the discussion around like the financing of the stadium like public versus private money i think there's been separate questions about the land deal but my understanding is that this is about the cash that the state would provide yeah i mean i, I it's I, all about the public money that they're trying to suck out of nevada and I wouldn't, I, I mean, I, I could, I, again, like, this is all speculative, right? And no one's, I'm not connected to this, certainly. But the situation in Oakland is so untenable. And there's already been a declaration of intent from Oakland that they want to move specifically to Las Vegas, that it might create a lot more leverage for the state of Nevada to not have to kick in a bunch of public mm -hmm. money, because where the hell else are they going to go? And in what kind of time mm -hmm. frame? So again, it's somewhat speculative, yeah. but I think Oakland has, you know, like they've made public overtures. It's known specifically that uh, Vegas is the destination. And when you're 
like drawing 1500 fans at your games and that it, I mean, it's an embarrassment, right? And Oakland has already shut the door pretty, pretty solidly on financing a new ballpark. Then mm-hmm. the A's might have to just take a worse deal to move and they need mm-hmm. to move sooner rather than later. Cause are they going to play in Oakland like this for four or five more years? It seems wild to me to imagine that. That's the funny option. I'm rooting for that as like the humor, I, the, the comedy option. But absolutely. yeah, I think you're right. It could be like a promises made situation. It wouldn't be the first time someone like got some agreements in Las Vegas and suddenly those disappeared when they showed up in the desert. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think you're right. It could be uh, sort of like being in the room. It's hard to say exactly what's going on, but there could be all sorts of different like playing for leverage here from different parties. Yeah. I'm just yeah. imagining casino, but with John Fisher. So, <laughs> <laughs> him just, yeah, him just dealing with all of these uh, state of Nevada, like good old boys. <laughs> I really hope that that's what's happening right now. Like he's Ace Rothstein, uh, but you know, he, Ace Rothstein was competent at some things, I guess. Okay. There is our, our Oakland A's minute. Patrick, while we have you here, you are a gamesman. You are an experienced games designer, commentator, player. Gamesman is a slur. That's a that's a slur. Game- <laughs> okay. Gamesman is a slur. Person of gaming experience. <laughs> Person of gaming experience. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. You know, and, and especially the game designer part is what I want to hit on. We have a whole bunch of different rule changes and stuff that have happened to Major League Baseball this year. Like from a from a game designer perspective, do you think that they have been effective? Do you like these? What what things would you add to baseball to improve the experience of it overall for for everybody? What I so I think the 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 two big rules changes, which the shift band and the pitch clock, are both yeah. pretty unambiguously positive to me. Um, it, I, I mean, as someone with like small kids. The notion mm-hmm. of going, if I like the difference between a game being three or three and a half hours and versus two and a half hours is a material difference. If I could take my kids to the ballpark Huge. and watch a game. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, especially now with entertainment being a lot more like synaptic and quick than it was when I was a kid, yeah. I think there is a, a yeah. burden to move it to, to speed it up a little bit. And, um, I would also put the extra innings change kind of in that constellation of, Let's keep it moving. We can't have games that are six hours on the edges. So that I think is really positive. And the 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 shift is an interesting one in particular because there's a lot of a lot of my friends even were just like, well, why should there be rules against where people stand? And hmm. one is like other sports have rules, like basketball has rules about three seconds in the paint because the game's just not as fun to watch uh, and strategically breaks down when that's permitted. Uh, and second. It is sort of an, like, I guess, analytics adjacent of if the shift is something that's busted out for, like, Ted Williams and that's it, that's very different than 40% of batters you're playing against, you should have the shift applied. Please, yeah. I also think that a lot of what is fun about baseball when the game gets interesting is when there is a runner on base. So Mm -hmm. the shift has Mm -hmm. this, like, it's almost multiplicative in, in how bad it is of, like, so you could it's harder to get a runner on base and a lot of base hits only have value if there is already a runner on base. So you get into this incentive structure of like we should just be hitting home runs. That's the only thing we should be trying to do and that might make for good clips on Sports Center but I don't think that's a terribly engaging thing to watch for 3 hours. Um so I do uh I do think that they just move the game in the right direction in terms of like let's just get more hits in the gap 
and let's speed the game up, I think are two just the philosophy behind both of those decisions to me are, are very wise. As far as like rules changes, I would consider something. I, I always wish there was a bit more liberalism around substitutions. I don't like mm-hmm. the hard someone is, is just out of the game. Um, and certainly once you have the DH just as the rule on both sides, you've sort of ripped the bandaid off a little bit and saying, yeah, the viewing experience is just better not having a pitcher hit. So we're just going to do that because who wants to watch this guy strike out half of his at-bats or whatever? Yeah. It sucks. And it just dampens scoring and then dampening base hits feeds back into the just hit home runs loop, like whatever. So once you are willing to make that sort of concession, I wish there was more exploration and um, just more pinch running and more uh, like late game substitutions involving defense that wouldn't have as negative impact if that batter got back up. I don't have a rule set in mind, but I have always felt baseball was a little too rigid with their rules around uh, substitution, especially because you roster way more than like eight or nine position players in the game. This uh, might be kind of a tricky question, but uh, a lot of when the DH was introduced into the NL or talked about it in the NL, I feel like well, we're, we're losing strategy for that. We're losing the managerial strategy. Off the top of your head, this might be hard to answer, but like, are there any like things you could think of that would bring back that element of like managerial strategy to the game? Uh, you know, I, I think there's some level of the coming up with some sort of rule set that allows some level of substitution is really the mm-hmm. key there because that's where a lot of that came in. It involved the pitcher, you're pinch hitting for the pitcher. And now because of this, there are ways to retoggle who's playing in the field and what order they are batting in such that uh, there's a lot of strategy in that moment. I think that that strategy is a little bit too opaque to the average viewer. Like it requires Mm -hmm. a lot of explanation when you're talking about flipping battering orders and moving around a bunch of people. But I agree with you that like that strategy is really meaty. And once you're into baseball, like that stuff is really cool and engaging, gives you a lot to talk about, a lot to think about. Um, but I think you could approximate some of that with one free substitution a game, or you know, something just in that space that allowed a little bit more flexibility with uh, how you manage your lineups later on in the game. I like that. I like that better than my idea, which is the managers could have like a, a progression bar with a line that goes left to right, and they have to press a button that stops the line in the right zone. Otherwise, they lose the DH or something. I, I think your suggestion is better than that, mine. That is also skill testing and fun. So I don't know if that's necessarily yeah. like uh, just in absolute terms. I, that's about as good as my suggestion, I think. Maybe both. Maybe we do both. It, it gets uh, some younger guys in that role, better reflexes. Yeah. Well, you get a substitution. <laughs> you get a substitution if you uh, hit the bar in the way that you're describing. Mm-hmm. But and if you hit the bar the right way, you keep your substitution. But every time the bar starts moving faster. Yes. So you can get absolutely. really good at it and basically be able to free roll, <laughs> but like it's presumably hard to do that. We're bringing in the new new sabermetric advantage of bringing in speedrunner guys with really incredible reflexes. Yeah. Oh, if, if your manager, like if having an 80 year old manager was bad for like that reason, that would be like a cool thing to consider. I don't know. I'm open to a lot of ideas. Absolutely. You got to kick the tires on the stuff. You can't just come in with your, you know, preconceived notions of, what the right path is. You just got to experiment. I want this this because I want a doping scandal for managers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're all just like, uh, like wired to the gills on Adderall. Yeah. 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 It'd be the funniest recent old manager to have an Adderall controversy. 
Tony Larusa. Tony Larusa. They go to the Tony Larusa well a lot, but he's still the funniest old guy manager. Yeah, yeah. we were, we we spent a lot of time last episode talking. See, most of the old Tony guys Larusa. like I think Brian Singer could handle it. Like I could see him being a guy who could totally be on top of like a like a like a like a like a five milligram a day Adderall habit and still be really chill on the outside. Terry Francona, same way, just like oh yeah, like blood, like ice cold, like ice in the veins, guys with with substance abuse with with stimulant abuse in particular. Terry Francona would never do it because it would curb his appetite and he just needs the streets. <laughs> There's no way he would ever do it. No, he's he's not going on the. He, he, uh, Terry Francona is not interested in um, uh, Mangerno right now. No, no. I think that this that like a lot of former managers, especially like the older ones that are still kind of around would be able to do it because all those dudes were on greenies. So yeah. like, mm. you know, Paul Molitor <laughs> was a manager not that long ago. And, you know, he was fucking doing coke in the dugout. Like, I think, yeah. It's that thing where we're assuming it. old people didn't get crazy when they were younger. Yeah. But yeah. all those, all those guys would be oh, yeah. stimulants far harder oh, than yeah. I ever have. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Should we get to some mailbag here hell yeah all right let's do this one from nick on our discord if mlb stadiums were land cards what effect would they have when tapped so this is like a magic this is like trying to blend yeah. my presumed interests yeah. of magic <laughs> and yeah. uh are you not interested in magic oh i think it, i think it would all be they would all be city of traders right oh just sure. like if you played something on top of it you would destroy it but in the meantime it attached for two i'll go with that yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. good. That's good. Or like the the cycle of like the fallen empires lands that like come to play tap tap for one sack for two. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They're always okay. demolishing and building new ones too. So something in that city of traders dwarven ruins spectrum is, I guess, what I would do. Except the angels, the angels stadium would tap for no. It would be like a sorrow's path. Doesn't tap for mana. Doesn't do anything useful. <laughs> it just. This it is just a, does some shit that actually doesn't work. This like, is a very yeah. this is a very me complaint, but but I have never been to a stadium where the best food option on the menu was was garlic fries, and the garlic fries were not as good as they are anywhere else. Horrible. Mm. No, you could really do, grim. You could do like a sleeper agent thing for Anaheim. It's like comes into play and you just give it to your opponent. Doesn't do anything and deals one one <laughs> point a turn. Yeah. yeah, it just deals a point a turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That would okay. symbolize any any uh any any stadium where like the opposing um the the opposing team's lockers have like a, a raccoon problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the Oakland Stadium. Yeah, you can tap it to make a raccoon token. I like that. But you also but you also get a raccoon shit counter. You know, well, maybe sad. like maybe so many animals could be a part of this. Like yeah. uh, the Giants Giant Stadium uh, has like a, a seagull token that comes into play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah, the yeah. idea of the uh, of uh, the Oakland Coliseum. This is digital only. It's a little cumbersome to do on paper, but you tap yeah. it and you get like a random possum or rat or snake <laughs> or it's like there's like this menagerie <laughs> of bad animals that this all is come for out. alchemy. Yes, yeah. alchemy only. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when okay. are we designing this? Yeah, yeah. Let's get on this. Bort Fullweiler on the Discord. Which community is more unhinged about changes to the meta, MTG, or baseball fans? Well, baseball for sure. Because to yeah. the extent it's true in Magic, it is just a demographic thing. It is a relatively mm. older, relatively uh uh white affluent male audience 
that is just unhinged in a reactionary way to any sort of change, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And to whatever extent that demographic exists in magic, it is significantly more intense in baseball. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, to, to your point, if magic changes the rules or if the players of, in a magic tournament get like under your skin, uh, under each other's skin somehow, or like fundamentally break someone, like, there's not congressional hearings about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really, at least not yet. Not yet. Years, <laughs> I was going to say, I really like, I don't believe you that your enjoyment of baseball is predicated on the shortstop being able to stand to the right of second base. I don't believe that's like what's. <laughs> right. What you find to be so engrossing about the game, and yet mm-hmm. you just have that reaction God. from all. Remember when they extended the netting? That wasn't even a rule change. <laughs> yeah, and people were pissed <laughs> off about that. Yeah, it's 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 a combination. I think that you're right of the demographics of baseball being older and very white and very staid and reactionary, and also like the 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 mythos of it being like a patriotic element of our culture. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like anything, any changes in baseball are, are a, a fundamental attack, like tantamount to burning a flag. Ever been yeah. to Military Day at Petco? I've oh, seen it. God, I've no. seen it on it's TV. Or, but... That whole week. That whole week. That the, sounds the worst like uniforms. I've been to Military Day out to other stadiums that have made me want to die. So I think they might have dialed this back. I could be wrong. But for a very long time, every Sunday was like camo uniforms at the ballpark. Mm-hmm. And San Diego is a big military town because there's the naval base downtown and then there's the Marine base, Camp Pendleton, maybe 40 minutes up. And one of the first games I went to uh, was a Sunday game where, you know, it's like every inning they're playing some other national anthem. Everyone's in camo. And this I'm like, this kind of sucks. But then I looked up and the like the 500 section, the worst possible seats that you could have. And this is like 90 degree weather or whatever. They have like all the Marines in full regalia behind the right foul pole, just way up. And they have to like stay and they're in like their past the full thing. And they have to just be there the whole game, like standing and singing or sitting and not doing anything when it's not. And I was like, okay, this is, this part is kind of cool. Like they are. are we yeah, sure they're not. They're not drinking water up there. They're dropping like they're dropping like it's fucking Fallujah. Yeah, yeah it's a fucking. Yeah, are we is. sure this isn't a training exercise? Like, yeah, if they, in case they get kidnapped or something. Yeah, don't lock your knees, yeah. boys. So that part was cool, but yeah, San Diego is a. I mean, even by MLB standards, a very like patriotic military service kind of environment. Totally. Mm-hmm. Sicko um, shit. I just, <laughs> I just, I do. I just remembered. I want to point out when we we're talking about our doping scandal, Magic Gathering did have a doping scandal uh, this week on Twitter. Anyway, someone was complaining that people they're playing at against the tournament uh, were on Adderall. Okay. So, uh, so as someone who's like, <laughs> I know, I know happened. about this shit, this doping in magic has been going on for a very long time. I yeah, think forever. it's largely overstated. The one firsthand, or secondhand, I guess, experience I have with it is friend of a friend's playing in a tournament, and he's just he's he's on the gas. You know what I mean? Like he's 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 <laughs> however many however much Adderall he's taken, it's a lot, and he's like rocking back and forth in a chair. And in our social circle, he's like probably among kind of the weaker players who play in the competitive scene. So he's like rocking mm-hmm. back and forth in his chair, and just like vibrating, you know. And he's making like a mistake and a half a turn. And me and my other my other friend are like kind of like his, watching his whip. Him it's like his whip. Is yeah, really exactly. Yeah. His, his, his whip's over too. Like it is at yeah. vibrating mm-hmm. and just unsolicited turns around and looks at us and goes, I've never played this well in my life. Oh my God. 
<laughs> See, this is such a like this the professional or the semi-professional like magic gallery was so far removed from my experience of it, just playing with like college buddies, mm-hmm. where having like the, the thing that made you better was having a beer. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, my perform enhancing drug in a magic tournament is a cigarette. Because yeah. Mm, oh, yeah. one, it's you're instantly the coolest looking person at the table. Yeah, you're cool because it's cool. That's why it looks cool, because it is cool. And two, you have an excuse to get out of the tournament hall. What yeah. is bad mm-hmm. about magic tournaments? And my this maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but it's the disassociative experience of being around these people for <laughs> 10 hours at a time. And if you have it as an excuse baked in to do a lap, really hard to beat you. Really hard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thanks. You heard it here. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Sullivan endorsing cigarettes for magic. Strongly endorsing. I tried it. We, yeah. uh, uh, when uh, Cedric is coalesces t shirt business, I designed my one shirt. It got an immediate cease and desist from Philip Morris because it was just uh, hilarious. It was just a tribute to Marlboros, but it was too close to their logo. <laughs> So they, <laughs> Cedric was like, "Yeah, I got a call from their lawyers. We need to take this shirt down." <laughs> oh, what did it say? I missed that one. It had the the Marlboro like yeah. stylized, but it said right. Mountain instead of Marlboro. Okay. And there oh, was okay. a couple other yeah. changes to like the Philip Morris Funny. little emblem and stuff like that. Funny. Okay, next question here: Izzy Gall in the Discord as well. Do you think the swinging friar will become the next target for all of these suddenly devout Catholics? <laughs> he's very disrespectful. He's very disrespectful. He is. He's a yeah. He's a drunken goon. <laughs> he's swinging a bat around a nurse seen a friar in real life swing a single yeah. bat. I've seen a nun throw out a pitch. That's pretty cool. But yeah. <laughs> the, the 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 friar is the only piece of like Catholic adjacent iconography. Where the subject is having a good time and seems like someone you'd want to maybe hang out with. Like they need to defend yeah. the pot. Yeah, the church needs that. Yeah. 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 They need to. <laughs> yeah. That is like an important part of the range of the otherwise austere and uh, bleak outlook mm-hmm. of the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, no. If we let these trads like get into the, the the swinging fire, they'll just have them looking like Paul Bettany in in the um uh the fucking Robert, what what's his name with the Tom Hanks movie. Uh, national, not national treasure. The the crappy yeah, yeah, one the angel and demons or uh, where he's playing praying the Opus Day guy and just beating himself on the back. Oh, oh, yeah, uh, see at the ballpark if, if the fucking trads get to run the Padres with no. the Dan, the Dan Brown. No, the trads need to pivot in the other direction. They need more friars. They more they need more Catholics <laughs> that are having a good time, yeah. not around kids, like doing something <laughs> normal, like like swinging a baseball bat, whatever, like. That if yeah. I was involved in marketing for the Catholic Church, I would say that's a thing we need to tap into. We need more of that, <laughs> not less. We don't go after him. We make more of the it. Catholic mm-hmm. Church's marketing mm-hmm. department talking about the swinging friar. Well, none of these people that's are actually real. representative of the church. They're all like these weird American offshoots yeah, who should basically yeah. splinter already. Yeah. 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 Like the actual. <laughs> They act like Protestants in a lot of ways already. They, they are Protestants. Yeah. 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 American Catholic. Like Red Scare Psychopaths. They should and, embrace a yeah. Protestant sport. Yeah. yeah. That's my favorite thing is when like the last week of like the Red Scare, like calling the Pope illegitimate. It's like you've been a Catholic for seven minutes. <laughs> um, like, what are you doing here? There's yeah. Uh what's what's the point of this if you're not gonna think the pope is infallible that's kind of the big sticking point on these yeah. things all these people hate sports too none of them will watch yeah. a fucking baseball game to save their lives that's true they're all just they all live in like new york like new york city enclaves where sports are still uncool yeah, yeah, yeah. we didn't watch sports like my family's catholic there were not sports on 
the extended family gatherings. Not even football yeah. on Sundays. So no sports. <laughs> the news. The news was on. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm glad my Catholic family was a little more fun. The news. I'm glad uh, I didn't. I'm glad I'm not Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Ben Lar, BL on uh, Discord. Do the hosts slash guests miss any pitchers or batters pre-clock inner pitch routine? Uh, no. I do not miss Pedro Baez, uh, you know, being like taken forever. I, you know, maybe Johnny Cueto a little bit because he was fun and we liked him. But like, I don't miss Mike Clevenger. I don't miss any of that. Clevenger, no. Um, No, I noticed this. I noticed this the other day, but Craig Kimbrell's kind of like weird arm outstretched stance (laughs) that he does before pitching before it looked like he was like a bird about to take flight but because he's got like such a a smaller period of time that he can do that now he just kind of looks like a like a marionette just kind of like <laughs> like slung over a chair and i miss the bird that it's it doesn't look bird like anymore mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. That's well, a good point. I, the one i could think of is that you know i loved the soto shuffle while he was playing here patrick's yeah. a good someone who's watched a lot of at bats recently he's how's he doing like how's he I know he has had a hard time early in the season adjusting to the pitch clock. He said so, but like, is he still throwing in a couple shimmies every now and then? Like he tries to do the timeout stuff. Like, you know, he's got his game or whatever. Um, But yeah, it's, it, I mean, uh, the same uh, friend of mine who got drilled by Matt Bush was like, I think it's just pitch clock when we were talking about him just having trouble producing early on the season. He's like, sort of likes to play a lot of mind games, likes to take his time up there. And it's just an adjustment period to this, but you know, he's still a little shimmy here and there, leverage the timeouts, tries to do what he can, but not the same. Not the same. Yeah. I'm going to miss any of these people's routines. I was turned off by it. <laughs> I was turned off by it because I have a lot of uh, Cleveland fans in my orbit. And when the Padres traded for Clevenger, just, they were like, you're going to love this guy. And I watched him. <laughs> I watched him Did Cedric, tell you, I'm like, Cedric tell you that? Yeah. I was like, I, this guy might be good. That's like a, you know, whatever. I'm never going to love this guy. I, I'm like mm-hmm. counting the days until he's somewhere else. So, yeah, these routines, routines are cool when you like, you strike someone out. You have a routine then. That, if you had a dance where you strike someone out, that's cool. If you hit a home run, you flip your bat. That's cool. I'm into that too. But just like every, Having your like weird ritualistic routine every at bat, every pitch. No, I don't miss any of it. Much. Get mm-hmm. out of here. It's Get a respect much. my time kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Save yeah. it for something cool. If you mm-hmm. agree, if you instead of doing the Kate Craig Cambrell like bird pose, if you flapped your wings after you struck someone out, that's cool. <laughs> I would be willing to take some time off the clock to support that, but not as like a baseline, just getting your pitch set up. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Okay. This one, uh, this one's more for Lauren. It's from Uterati on our uh, Discord. I went to my local pizzeria and ordered the Lauren. The guy asked what that was, and I provided the details and said everyone makes it, quote, back home. He responded, around here, that's called the, this is a big jerk, awaiting further instructions. No, you've, you've done what you you were sent there to do, my my little agent of, of pizza introduction. <laughs> One of these days, we're going to see Coast to Coast in America. The spread of the delicious double olive pizza, for those who don't know. The Lauren, and I plead everyone who listens to this to do this, to go to your local pizzeria, ask for black olives, the very underrated on a pizza green olives, and red onions. 
and uh, the onions can be pickled. You can make it could be a kalamata olive. There's leeway in there. Uh, you can add sausage if you need to, but please uh, go to your local pizzeria. Uh, call it whatever they want, but get green olives on on menus. Americans don't appreciate green olives enough. That's what this is all really about. And a mm -hmm. pizza is the best possible place because you got the cheese, you know, bringing you in a fatty element to cut the the brininess of the olive. That's our that's our gateway to getting Americans to appreciate green olives more. I can do a lot of work here because Denver, where I live now, very sensitive about, you know, you're kind of, you don't have the same cultural verve when it comes to food as like the Northeast or Southern California or New Orleans, right? So there's a level of insecurity there. And, you know, I could turn on the accent. I got a map of New Jersey tattooed on my arm. So if I go in these local <laughs> pizzerias and I was like, yo, you got the Lauren? And if they're like, what are you, like, what do you, what do you mean? What am I talking about? What are you talking about? This yeah. is a city where I could make some really positive strides toward getting this as part That's of the exactly, awesome exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a lot yeah. of the. There, ninety percent of the country is like that. It's just waiting for someone with any kind of shred of authenticity yeah. to bring yeah. to it some kind of sense of like, yeah, pizza should have this. This is normal. Yeah. This is this is the pizza equivalent of the California roll. Yeah. Everyone does this, but you guys. Exactly. Yeah. You, know, you got the yeah. Lauren, the two olives. What do you mean you don't know what I'm talking about? What do you mean? You, what are you talking about? Yeah. Cetera, you're you're not a green olive on a pizza? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Uh, let's do one more question here. At Orphir underscore on Twitter. Mailbag for Patrick. What competitive practice should MTG players take from baseball and vice versa? Can I take a home run trot at FNM? Uh, it depends. I think if like... you 6-0 FNM, like, you know. 3-0 without dropping a game at FNM. I think you could take a trot around the store. Yeah, we, um, uh, our FNM policy, you know, and not all FNMs are different. So I'm not, I'm not saying this necessarily translates, but if you got the right crowd, it's, uh, you get a, just a case of Modelo's, fire up yeah. the, get the cooler going. After every round, go outside and winners drink. So one, it's a bit of a celebration. And then two, you naturally kind of flatten things out over time because the uh, stronger players will get inebriated. And then when they're played against the weaker players, you sort of level out the playing field a little bit. And if you yeah, can that, do uh... like, if you can 6-0 with six Modelos in you in three hours, like that's worth Love a lot it. too. <laughs> Absolutely. Generally though, I think, I, I think just cigarettes, yeah. just cigarettes. That's the yeah. right. <laughs> just smoke cigarettes. Just smoke cigarettes. It's cool. You'll look cool doing it. It'll help your game. <laughs> It's like legal performance enhancing uh, that actually works. Don't touch that ad or yeah. That's going to get you in yeah. trouble. Yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> that's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> when I used to play like competitive Street Fighter, when we'd have like a uh, little casuals to, uh, you know, practice and stuff, we'd have little mini tournaments in there and we'd get this uh, beer called Boxer brand beer. It was dirt cheap, like a 30 pack of it was like 12 bucks or some, mm. you know, just absurdly. Uh, and it was awful. But like, yeah, you it was like rite of passage where if you were like new, you had to you had to shotgun the a can of boxer. And I yeah, I think that that could that could be brought into baseball, make it more like softball, you know, where there's more shotgunning beers, stuff like that. I think that'd be good. But OK, for magic things to bring to baseball, uh, is there any is there anything we could do that would be like your baseball players could do that be as annoying as like the, you know, the cards flicking? Um, no, that, I mean, that is the running out the clock of the pretending to think the performative motion. It, there's mm. so much of like wanting to project that you're thinking about something 
or you're getting yourself into a particular place uh, and it's ritualistic and it's extremely annoying. Uh, and, and this is not just me being shitty. Like I did that a lot when I was playing a ton 10 mm. years ago. It took, I've done it a lot too. It took active work <laughs> to not be like that. Um, <laughs> but it was harder to quit than, um, than cigarettes, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's so baked into your routine. And you get used yeah. to like the feeling and the noise of it, whatever. Yeah, yeah, but that shit's gotta go. If you pile shuffle, that shit's gotta go. Can't do that. Yep, out, out. You're out. Yeah. Is there Mash something in somebody. magic that's like a bat flip where like half the community's really into it, half really hates it? Oh, there is. Well, I don't know if you would call it. I don't know if you would call it a bat flip because it's not exactly um, a celebratory gesture. But mm-hmm. if you win a match against someone. And you say good games. Yeah. Someone, there's a percentage of people who consider that to be like inflammatory. Like basically you're trying to start a fight. What? Burden of proof to say good games is on the loser. Because the Mm -hmm. the thinking goes, the loser may not necessarily think the games were good. Maybe they got screwed or like their draws were just bad or whatever. So obviously this is insane, right? I come from a background (laughs) and... Yeah, GG is like a universal. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I always. I mean, okay, so like I used to play competitive StarCraft a bit too. It was considered bad mannered if you were like winning to say GG to the other person before they gave up. But uh, this is different because like in Magic, it's like you're already lost. The game's then, over. Yeah, yeah. But like, no, I always do that. You know, good games. Put out my hand like every time, and there have been times where people have refused to shake my hand and walk away. Yeah, good games. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and an extension of that, even. Uh, saying good games is inflammatory, and so is extending your hand for a handshake before your opponent has extended theirs first. Mm-hmm. This is not a truism <laughs> of every Magic player, but no. when I was playing a lot more 10 or 15 years ago, this was of people playing in like the most competitive tournaments. Roughly half the room would... It was bad enough that you would like go tell your friends that someone did this to you. Wow. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I see a lot of comparisons here to like the the bat flip, like unwritten rules kind of stuff. Managing people's feelings. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. I think that's where we're gonna call it for this recording. Patrick Sullivan, thank you so much for coming here. Do you have anything you'd like to promote here before we go? Uh, you can check out the Receivables uh, podcast on YouTube, where it's a video series on YouTube, and then there's a Patreon paywall podcast where uh, Cedric Phillips and I sort of do a historical retrospective of each individual Magic set. Uh, we actually just finished recording The Dark, and hopefully Hell that yeah. will be posted to YouTube <laughs> on Friday. I love The Dark. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, it's just vibes and no playable cards, yeah. but it, there's a lot of cool <laughs> stuff going on there. Um yeah, I, I guess professionally, that's all I would like to plug. Um, I did have uh, one, two Padre stories that I want to share really quick. If you, if we have the band oh, before the yeah. early, the bad days. Uh, one was when I got my job at Upper Deck. Uh, I was a contractor, which was really meant a full time person, but just not allowed to, mm-hmm. like, not <laughs> receiving healthcare or whatever. And so every year, the pod, the Upper Deck would do like a field trip down to Petco. We'd get seats and up in the nosebleeds and you just hang out for a work day or whatever <laughs> so i'm like getting ready to go like we get to the office at you know 10 and we're gonna head down to san diego and whatever and they're like oh no you're a contractor you like can't go but you also like need to stay so i was just in the upper deck building by myself 
while everyone else went down to Petco and watched the Padres game. So that was also a pretty early radicalizing uh, moment for me. Uh, not so much baseball, but politics more generally. Right. Second, it's different now because it's standing room only at most of the Padres games. It's a huge draw. But back when I was going to games more frequently, San Diego, as mentioned, big military town. And so every game had a huge road presence because the people who were in the Navy or in the Marines from Wisconsin would all come down if the Brewers were in town or whatever. And I once saw a fight break out between two separate packs of Phillies fans. There was a (laughs) Phillies on Phillies fight at a Padres game that I attended. God bless. Uh, Everyone's like, you don't have to do that here, man. Yeah, I know. And when I say packs, like wolves or dogs, that is on purpose. These are are animals. Yeah, I I got to witness a a Phillies-Phillies fight at Petco Park. One of my favorite moments as a Padres fan. We got to get some roaming gangs of Phillies fans in San Diego to stop these Marines <laughs> that are wandering around harassing people. Yeah. I'm so sorry to cut off, but I wanted to get those two in there before uh, we yeah, went our love, separate ways. Yeah, love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. For- <laughs> oh, this was great. Was Pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you right. so much. And you can go support our show, patreon.com slash around. Uh, and where we're going to be having bonus episodes, all the fun stuff coming up. I've got some fun stuff planned here for uh, for this month, for next month. So go there, patreon.com slash batting around. Help us. Uh, as, as I say, and I'm PR, keep the lights on. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. You are-